waiting in the wing, as it were. But I'm here, and uh, this is good. So I'm sorry if I don't see you much afterwards, but I think I will get better. So thank you, Velma, for opening up for us. Appreciate that. Leading us in prayer. Appreciate that, too. I am also going to pray just before we get started. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for your great love for us and for this day. Lord, would you open our hearts uh, to receive from you, just as we have received through the worship uh, in prayer, as we worship you with our tithes and offerings. Lord, as we come to open your word, would you open our hearts, not just to hear information, Lord, but to be formed and shaped by your spirit, that we may go from this place deeper and more alive in you, uh, growing as your disciples, we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. I hope you had a good Christmas. Uh, Rowan has a little nativity set. It's a little people nativity set, and we've got it up on a shelf uh, kind of in in our living room. It's very, very, very cute, you know. Um, It's got three little wise men and a little shepherd. Well, it's kind of confusing. Joseph is kind of the shepherd. It's a bit of a of a strange situation where you have him with Mary, suddenly there's no more shepherds, so we often have to talk about what, who is this and where's the shepherds, and which one Noah can play with. Noah always wants the sheep. Rowan said the other day, um, no, you can't have the sheep, here's the hay. Like as though, you know, you got the hay, good enough, right? Good to go. Noah's like, yeah, okay. Um, it's very, very, very cute. It's very warm. It's very, you know, it's the familiar manger scene, right? It's, it's very cozy, of course, it's little people. So, you know, everyone's super cute, kind of roly-poly, and it plays away in the manger. We press the button on the top, um, which, is, which is terrifying when you leave it on and put it back in the box. It starts playing on its own from the decorations. And, uh, but it's, you know, there it is. It's the family. They're all huddled together. It's, it, and it's, this, it's that scene we're all familiar with. Um, this sort of serene, warm, you know, we sing silent night, holy night. It's all that kind of thing. Um, and I'm reminded of passages that just... It, it, it's it's so peaceful, and you're kind of reminded of, of places, even even places like John 16, where Jesus says, "In me, you may have peace." Right? Like here it is, just peaceful um, and serene. Uh, you know, donkeys. There's two donkeys. It's very good. two donkeys. Fruit cart. Hey, you know, very nice. Jesus smiling up from the manger like a six month old. You know, not a newborn. The trouble is we often leave Christmas right there, um, but the Gospels won't let us. And this passage this morning is, is, a, is a real kind of shock if you're thinking of Jesus just sort of living there happily in his little, his little manger, his little people set. It almost should be a follow-up little people set, but it kind of wouldn't be very appropriate. We almost need a tower with a little raging King Herod. And Mary and Jesus and Joseph with their two donkeys and the hay left behind rushing off to Egypt. Because here's the thing, Christmas doesn't keep us at the manger. It doesn't stay in the manger immediately where we're, we're pulled from the familiar, stable, and manger scene. We're pulled away from any kind of sentimentalism that we may have about this, any sort of hallmark Christmas. And suddenly the baby and the family, they're met with hostility 
and violence. And it's not that Jesus' words don't ring true. Is in me you may have peace. The very next line, actually, is in the world you'll have tribulation. We see that lived out right here in Matthew. And it's so fitting, it's so true, that God comes to enter right into our sinfulness. And we're met with the hatred and violence of humanity straight away in the gospel. There's no sort of messing around. And Jesus experiences what so many still experience even in our own day. I don't know if you've ever thought of it this way, but Jesus becomes a refugee. The whole family becomes refugees. And uh, the poet Malcolm Geit writes about this in his poem called Refugee. And I want to read it this morning because it's so... It's so fitting, especially as we read this Matthew 2 passage. <coughs> this is the poem. It says, We think of him as safe beneath the steeple, or cozy in a crib beside the font. But he is with a million displaced people on the long road of weariness and want. For even as we sing our final carol, his family is up and on that road, fleeing the wrath of someone else's quarrel glancing behind and shouldering their load. While Herod rages still from his dark tower, Christ clings to Mary, fingers tightly curved. The lambs are slaughtered by the men of power, and death squads spread their curse across the world. But every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb. The lambs, those innocent children slaughtered by the men in power. And in our day, just as in that day, death squads spreading violence and death around the world. And then that beautiful gospel proclamation, every Herod dies and comes alone to stand before the Lamb, before the throne. And all through history we see Herods, don't we? We see those who use power to destroy or to kill slaughter the innocent in all sorts of ways, but in the end, they will come to give an account before Jesus, the Lamb on the throne. So what are we going to take away from all of this? I think, I think the first thing that really stands out to me, especially at Christmas time, where, where many of us face a difficulty, it seems like people pass away more at this time of year, often we're missing people who aren't here at Christmas. I think maybe the first thing is that as Christians, we're, we're to be a people who acknowledge the brokenness and the evil in our world, not ignore it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't do us any favors to sort of downplay uh, the violence and the issues and the brokenness of our lives or to say, well, I'm not really, you know, it's not really bad. But actually, it's pretty bad. <laughs> things, are, things are not great. Um, I, I remember uh, a dear Christian lady who would often, she, it, it was almost this fear of being honest. And part of it is wanting to be joyful and optimistic and whatnot. But in the middle of her like suffering, she wouldn't really acknowledge that she, it was bad. You know, it was, kind of, it was almost like if she did, she would be negative and then that would be somehow affect something, you know? And so she would say, well, I'm, you know, it's all fine, and I'm already healed, and that kind of thing. And there's, I guess there's kind of a time and place for that. But it also doesn't acknowledge just the reality of life. It's actually just kind of not honest in another way. 
She's passed away now, bless her. Um, the Gospels don't do that. The Gospels don't say, well, Jesus, you know, had to go through this. But it really wasn't that bad, you know, and you should just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps when you experience suffering and kind of get on with it. They don't do that at all. If anything, Jesus enters right into it, right, right into the difficulty and the suffering of life. And he says, you too will experience tribulation. You too will experience measure of persecution. You'll also experience difficulty. And thankfully, we're not presently persecuted the way some people, some Christians in some countries are. We have a lot to be thankful for that. But we do face a lot of other difficulties. We face almost the more, the more deceptive difficulties, the ones that aren't as in your face. We, we, we face all sorts of issues related to social media, all sorts of issues related to our mental health, and suicide, and depression, and all sorts of issues related to consumerism and the way in which we seek value in what we have. This is messy, difficult stuff. It's maybe not as in your face, but it's very real. Um, and it's very, it's very much a still a mode in which we can suffer. I think the key here is this, is to recognize we have a choice when we face hardship. We can let it draw us away from Jesus and say, well, life is difficult, therefore God doesn't love me, or God's not here, Jesus doesn't get it, and now I'm going to kind of withdraw from a relationship with God and, and be upset with it. Or we can realize Jesus never promises that life's just going to be kind of a bowl of cherries. <coughs> And instead, in the midst of our difficulties, choose to draw near to God and recognize just as we are suffering in all sorts of different ways, He has also suffered. He has been through difficulty. And the call for us is to bring our own doubting, our own crying, our own worrying, our own fears, and to process that in dialogue with God. Not to sort of say, I'm upset, I don't... I'm, struggling in my walk with God, so I'm just going to kind of step aside and try and deal with it over here. But rather, like David does so often in the Psalms, is to come with our emotions and with our difficulty, with where we're at in life, and do that honestly before God, to do that in dialogue with Him, to say what we're feeling, but to do that with Him. And so often in the Psalms, as David and the different writers are working through their emotions, working through their anger, working through their struggles, working through their loneliness, their sufferings, whatever it is, there comes a point where they acknowledge, God, you're still faithful and you're still good, but they need to get to that point. They need to work through the difficulty, work through the problem, and acknowledge the suffering in God's presence. And there's almost something that happens as we give that to him. We then are, are open-handed to be able to receive when I'm over here sort of closed off and I have in my head that there's no suffering in Christian life, there's no sort of difficulty. Um, and then when it shows up and I'm surprised, um, the tendency is to dismiss God and try and look that over my own. And that just creates a bitterness and an anger and, and a hopelessness. It's very difficult. Isaiah 63 says, He became their savior in all their distress. He lifted them up carry them. It's a reference to, to God coming alongside the children of Israel. That in their distress, God comes along and carries them up. I'm reminded of that footprints poem uh, that's very, very popular. You know, you've got two set of footprints 
It's a person walking with God, and then there comes a point in life where he looks behind, and there's only one set of footprints, and he says, God, where were you? In all the most difficult parts of my life, I only see one set of footprints, and God says, well, actually, in those moments, that's when I carried you. That's why you only see one set of footprints. I was holding you. Right? And here in Isaiah 63, it says, He became their Savior in all their distresses. Or Hebrews 2 puts it this way. It says, Because Jesus himself was tested by what he suffered, so he is able to help all of those who are being tested. And so the flight to Egypt of, of Jesus and Mary and Joseph having to take off and experience the kind of the upheaval of losing their home or being pursued or the violence that they're escaping from, it, it reminds us of, of the cross itself. Jesus has come to experience suffering, that he has suffered, that he's died, that he's risen again, and now he is present with us in the midst of our suffering. And so the first thing I just want to acknowledge about that is, you know, wherever you're at today, if you're in the midst of going through some real difficult whatever that might be, God is with you in it. He is with you in it, and he cares about you in the middle of it. Um, but you have the choice to sort of walk that out with him and process what's happening in life and kind of go, you know, go through that with him. Or you can say, well, I don't want to. You kind of do that on your own. And I would encourage you to let yourself um, be carried by the one who knows what it's like to suffer. Or knows what it's like to, to go through hardship. And then you find an ally in God who knows what it's like to be human, to be tempted, and to go through hardship. The second thing that really stands out about this is how can we care for the suffering uh, in our own families and in our, in our own city, in our neighborhood? Who else around? Maybe you're not presently suffering or feeling you know, assaulted or feeling the difficulty of life, or just weighed down with life. But there are others around you who likely are. How can we be the love and the life and grace of Jesus to them when they're in a, a place of need? So who in your life is in need, and how can you how can you extend the peace and mercy of Jesus to them? I think, I think the other thing that's neat to point out here, that's really neat about Matthew, Here's Jesus, here's Yahweh with us, right? He takes on a, a full, complete human life and, and a physical body in order to, to truly represent humanity. And in representing humanity, he's also going to represent a faithful Israel. He's going to be the one true Israelite who's going to uphold the covenant. And so Matthew starts drawing our attention to the ways that Jesus' life starts to parallel the story of Israel. Jesus and his family, in a time of great distress, find themselves traveling to where? To Egypt, right? And the parallel is that this is very similar to the Genesis story, where Judah and uh, Joseph and the brothers have to leave Israel and go to Egypt to find sanctuary and provision, right? It's a, it's a similar kind of thing. What's interesting is Egypt is often personified as sort of against God, sort of against Yahweh. And yet here it's the place of rest. And where's the place that's anti-God? Where's the place that's coming against God's plan? It's actually Israel, right? It's Herod who's ruling from Israel that's actually going against God's plan. And that sets up all sorts of interesting questions about 
what, what is the people of God and, and who, where do we find rest? What does it mean to be ethnic Israel? And all that sort of thing. But it's also just an irony that just as Israel is, is going to be led by God then out of Egypt, when Egypt turns against God, back to the promised land, so too Jesus, once Herod is defeated and finished, is going to be led out of that distress and brought back to, to Israel as well. So he's experiencing the realities of human life. He suffered like us as Hebrews in order to help all of those who are suffering. And Isaiah reminds us it's his loving presence that saves us. It's his love that redeems us out of sin and evil. And Matthew's also saying, here's how Jesus' personal history repeats certain aspects of Israel's story. It's just how Jesus is fulfilling all sorts of Old Testament prophecies about our comforter and being our hope. Hosea talks about God's uh, faithfulness in bringing Israel out of Egypt. And now Matthew cites that and compares Israel, God's son, to Jesus, the incarnate son, the rescued, delivered. Matthew quotes Jeremiah here as well. There's all sorts of allusions going on about Herod's slaughter of the children, the mothers of Israel mourning their children. And it's, it's this heartbreaking passage. But Merry Christmas, hey? We're now far away from the little people dangerous. Merry Christmas. And that, this is exactly the point, though, folks. I don't want us to, I don't want us to, to lose it. God has come right into the injustice and the brokenness and the violence of our world, which is full of sorrow and pain and suffering and all the rest of it. But he's come to bring peace and forgiveness and love and life, and has come to bring salvation through his death on the cross, and to invite us into a relationship with God, so that we no longer have to navigate life on our own. And we have hope that he will come in the end with justice to deal with all of the all of the Herods that have reared their head through world history. So I think as Christians, we, we should never think of Christmas as only a happy and festive time. Of course it is, and we celebrate that, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come, but not all have received their king, right? Not every heart is ready to prepare him ready. Not all want to bow the knee. So yes, the joy and the beauty and the wonder of Christmas, we celebrate it, it's good, but if we're attentive to the story of the Bible, we, we realize the Gospels don't ignore the reality of life. This moment of Herod's violent rage, and Jesus, the refugee family on the run, it's intentionally right here. But this is the world God has come to. This is the world he loves and has redeemed. This is the while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the reality of life. And perhaps importantly for us, this is still the world that he calls us to extend the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to. This is still the broken world that he calls us to bring the message of the gospel, the good news. To say, here's what Jesus has done in my life. He's made a difference. Let me tell you how you can know him too. I think it's easier, perhaps, to ignore people's problems because we don't have to get involved. You know, actually, actually require something of us to spend time with someone and get to know them. Sometimes that's difficult. But God has become involved in our problems. God's come right down into the midst of all of our all of our issues. So may we open our hearts to do the same for others. And that requires time, that requires work. We don't always do it well. But may we open our hearts to those who are helpless and 
hungry and lonely and afraid because Jesus is there with them. This Christmas, I've been listening to the song Child of the Poor. It kind of goes along with what child is this. I don't know if you've ever heard it. It's really quite hauntingly beautiful. But it talks about Jesus in this way. I want to read to you just, just a couple verses of this song. It says, Who is this stranger here in our midst looking for shelter among us? Who is the outcast? Who do we see amidst the poor? The children of God. Bring all the thirsty, all who seek peace. Bring those with nothing to offer. Strengthen the feeble. Say to the frightened heart, Fear not, here is your God. Who is this who lives with lowly, sharing their sorrows and knowing their hunger? This is Christ, revealed to the world in the eyes of a child, a child of the poor. Friends, may we this Christmas season live out the peace of God to others. May we share the good news that in Jesus the light has come, that all can be forgiven, that you can indeed have a fresh start. And may we look to God when we are threatened by Herod's, knowing that Jesus himself has gone before us, that he will receive all his sheep into his arms no matter what tomorrow brings. And perhaps today you feel on the run. Perhaps you need to know the peace of Jesus and to open your heart to make room for him. That God loves you. He loves to forgive you. And we can all receive that free gift of eternal life as we come and repent and believe. You know, pray for us. Invite Bell and just to maybe close us off. Bless you and close our service off. Before she comes, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. Lord, thank you that you have entered right into uh, the experience of being a human being, Lord, knowing what it's like to encounter suffering and brokenness. Lord, you love us so that you you could come alongside and be our salvation and our strength and our hope when we experience suffering. So Lord, today, I pray that for each of us here, if we are in a place of uh, difficulty, whatever it might be in life, Lord, we pray that you would help us to turn to you in the midst of that place and to uh, call out to you, Lord. We know that you are faithful to answer and to come alongside us. Lord, would you give us listening ears and open hearts to hear from your Holy Spirit, to read your word, Lord, when we are in places of feeling broken and empty and lonely. Lord, we thank you that you know what this is like and you uh, promise to be with us. Lord, we thank you also that you have given us as Christians the task of extending grace to others, Lord. And often we wonder how to do this well. But I pray that you would uh, show us how this can always be quite simple in, in loving those that we come across, Lord, our neighbors and our family and our friends, but also the stranger, those we meet in the grocery store. Lord, may we in our words and in our actions be quick to point people to you in a way that is loving and uh, caring 
and obedient. Uh, Jesus, we pray that you would make us a light in a world that still suffers under Herod's. Lord, that you would give us compassion for those that are uh, in greater need than we are. Lord, that we would be grateful for all that you have blessed us with, for the peace that we have, for the uh, freedom to come and to worship you. Lord, we give you praise today. We thank you for the joy and the uh, beauty of Christmas, of you coming. But Lord, we also thank you that you uh, know and experience our brokenness and you are present with life and healing and love, Lord, for each one of us today. Um, thank you, Lord, for this people. Uh, bless them today and your name. Amen. Amen. Bella, did you, did you want to come or do you want me to